You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 11. Hey there, welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this podcast shares compelling stories and expert advice to help you build an exceptional nonprofit organization. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, and I'm the founder of Third Suite, which offers courses and consulting that strengthen the nonprofit sector. Before we get things going here, this episode is brought to you by Third Suite's free guide, How to Make Daily Progress Towards Your Strategic Plan. This worksheet helps you map out your daily to-do list to your organization's strategic objectives. You can get that by visiting www.thirdsuite.com. So today I'm sharing my conversation with Sharon McDaniel, who is the Outreach Coordinator for Art 180. Art 180 is a really cool nonprofit here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm based. This organization uses art as a medium to serve young people living in challenging circumstances, and it really provides a creative outlet for communication and expression. I'm all about it. Sharon has a background in social work and a true passion for social justice, which I really think shows through this episode. Her role specifically recruits youth for Art 180's programs, so she's really out there in the community, engaging with young people, and ensuring that Art 180 is a familiar face within the community. Our conversation covers everything from recruitment methods, the changing concept of what art is, and Sharon shares so many tips for success, not only in the role of outreach coordinator, but really just generally for any position within the nonprofit field. So I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you. Let's jump right in. Thanks so much for joining me on Nonprofit Confidential. You're doing some great things at Art 180, and I'm really excited for you to share all of your accomplishments with our listeners. So to kick things off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes, hello. My name is Sharon McDaniel, and I am the Outreach Coordinator at Art 180. Art 180 is an art nonprofit in Richmond, Virginia, that serves young people 8 to 18 years old living in challenging circumstances with an opportunity to communicate through art. And so I am a social worker, and I also um, help with the organization with providing community engagement opportunities, recruiting teens into our programs, and then overall just providing that social work aspect into our work. And so pretty much what I do is I go around the city, I talk about Art 180's mission, and I try to get a lot of people involved, especially our young people living in the Richmond and surrounding counties. Great. So you mentioned you're a social worker. So can you talk a bit about your background and yeah, take me way back, take me to the beginning. How did you get involved in social work? Where'd you go to school? I want all of it. Okay, awesome. So I started out at Virginia Commonwealth University, Ram Nation, black and gold. And so I started off actually as a psychology major and I switched to social work because I was really interested in understanding why people do the things that they do. Psychology was very medically based, talking about schizophrenia and all these different way, way big word terms. And I really just wanted to make it personal and make it relatable to what's going on in the world today. 
And so I was really interested in social justice and that is why I switched to social work. So I graduated with my BSW, my bachelor's in social work from Virginia Commonwealth University and also a bachelor's in African-American studies as well. And so with those two degrees, I'm very interested in social justice work, working around the different opportunities to work with people of color and the challenges that people of color face. I am a person of color myself, and so it is very passionate for me. Great. So is Art 180 your first role within the nonprofit sector? Actually, no. So within the social work program at VCU, we had to be in an internship. And so I had two internships at two nonprofits in the city. So Art 180 is not my first, but it's definitely my favorite, of course, since I'm working there. But I fell in love with Art 180 because of the mission of helping young people in challenging circumstances and just using art as a way to communicate with the world and navigate through those different challenges. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love the juxtaposition of social work and your background in social justice and kind of tying it all together in this really unique way using art as a medium. So can you talk a bit about how your degree in social work has helped you in your role? Mm -hmm. Yes. So social work is really just the understanding of how things intersect, right? So a person is not just a person, but a person interacts with their environment, a person interacts with the people around them, a person interacts with the policies that govern their society. And so social work allows me to understand the role of Art 180 in these young people's lives because Art 180 is that vehicle that they're using to drive through these different issues in their lives, right? So a young person might be dealing with mental health issues, which is something that we all deal with, right? But if you're a young person living in a certain neighborhood or if you're going to a certain school, art is a way that you can express yourself in a different way that other people may not have access to. So with social work, it allows me to engage more with the young people and just understand them on a deeper level, right? So someone might come in with an issue, but it could be deeper than that. Or maybe they just need someone to talk to. Maybe they just need to paint it out. Maybe they just need to tap into that talent that they didn't even know that they had so that they can become the person that they've always been. That's really well put. Thank you for that. Can you talk a bit about the programs that Art 180 offers? Yes, so Art 180 offers a lot of programs. We have programs for young people as young as eight and as old as 18. And so I work closely with the teenage programs. The teenage programs are for teens 14 to 18. And our programs have different mediums. And by medium, I mean we have painting, we have drawing, we have poetry, we have sewing, we have anything you can think about that is artistic, we have it. Because we do hire local artists that have different mediums and they are professionals in different areas of art. And so they come in and they provide these different art projects. But these art projects are not just about making stuff, it's about engaging in how to make something, but also thinking through a big problem, right? So maybe we might ask our young people, imagine a world without violence, what would that look like? Or what is your favorite superhero and what is it about your superhero that you would like to be yourself, right? And so we allow them to think through these big questions in order to get to their final products, which are their masterpieces that we put into our gallery space. Thanks. That's very powerful work that you guys are doing here. And I love, love, love the aspect of art because it just helps you get your emotions out when sometimes you can't find the right words to say. Exactly. That's really great work. How do you engage young people in this work? Like, if I were a young person, you're telling me, like, we're going to go write poetry. 
and I kind of scoffed at it. What would be the way to get me involved? Well, I would say one thing I try not to do is try to push a certain medium on a young person. It's more about figuring out what do you like. So I might come up and I say, hey, we have a poetry program. Do you like writing? Oh, no, I don't like writing. Well, what do you like doing? I like making fashion. I like writing a song. Well, if you're writing a song, you're writing. If you're doing fashion, you have to sketch. You have to write the idea out, right? So I think it's really about helping them to understand the process of art and not just the end product. And then they're able to see, oh, I can actually do this. I just have to want to do it. And so for a lot of our young people, it's just really breaking it down so that they understand art is not just about knowing how to do something. It's about learning how to do something. And through you learning you learn more about yourself through that process yeah yeah and so for young people who might not necessarily gravitate towards art Mm -hmm. how do you engage youth like that I think that we have to as a society we have to reimagine what art looks like in order for us to attract people to art because really art is everywhere And so for our young people, if I am at an event and I'm talking to a young person and I'm trying to get them engaged and talking about all the art programs we offer and they're like, you know what, I don't like art or I'm not even interested or I can't draw. I really try to allow them to understand the different things that you can do with art, right? So art is not just something you do. It's something that you embrace. It's something that you learn how to do. And it's also not just something that artists do. Everyone does art, right? So if you're a public speaker, there's an art to speaking. There is an art to making computers. There's an art to making things work. There's an art to reading, right? And so I think the concept of art in our society is seen as this one visual concept of making something, painting, right? That's not the only medium of art that there is. And so for our young people who may not necessarily be interested in art, I try not to persuade them, like I said before, I try not to push it on them. I just try to allow them a different perspective of seeing it. And you know, sometimes young people are still not interested and that's fine too. But at least I try to plant that seed so that it can grow into something else. So I think it's really just about changing the narrative around what art is in our society. That's great, that's such a good answer. And you guys offer so many programs Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, you know, you've really expanded the definition of art. So young people who are involved in any of these mediums can Mm -hmm. find a way to get involved. Exactly. So kind of along that thread, what methods you use to engage with young people to get them involved into the organization? Yes. So with my recruitment methods, a lot of what I do is word of mouth. So I definitely go out into the schools. I try to connect with teachers. So for instance, if we have a poetry program, I definitely connect with the art teacher, but I also try to connect with the English teacher, right? Because in English class, you're more than likely going to learn about poetry. And also I do connect with different organizations in the community. So Richmond has a bunch of organizations that are working with young people. And so I really try to connect with different organizations that are working with young people that may be interested in art. And then also, 
just you know emailing people we have our social media that we use and so it's really just touching all the bases of communication that there is possible but really the most effective thing that I've been seeing is just going out and talking to people and we do go to their lunches at their high schools and so most of the time it's just saying hey I hope to see you at our programs and then they show up and then they're like oh I've seen you so really just having that familiar face to say hey come into our space and then actually seeing us I think that has been one of the best methods of recruitment. Great. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of your role? I think the most challenging part is just the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. So we can touch all of our bases and still get three kids. I can go to 10 programs, right? 10 different community organizations. I can talk to staff meetings. I can go to this big community day in in a different neighborhood. And still, we won't have as many people as we think we should. And so I think that it's just understanding what is a success, right? So a success is going somewhere, right? Recruiting a young person and actually seeing them in our programs. And so I think the biggest challenge in this role is just redefining what successful recruitment is which maybe does not mean that we have a full class, but it may mean that we just have those five kids that may not have been there if we did not go to those different events. Yeah, I love that you touched on redefining what success means to your position in particular. Mm -hmm. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Do you have any specific metrics that you use? How do you gauge your, you know, quote unquote success rate? Yes. So I would say we gauge it in a lot of different ways. So we definitely have 15 slots per class. So we want to have a full class. Right. But also it's about young people signing up and showing up because sometimes young people sign up because they want to come and maybe they don't come to the program because of transportation or maybe their parents didn't even know that they signed up and they were like, no, you can't take this class or for a lot of different reasons. Right. And so just having people actually sign up and show up is another way of defining success and also having young people stay in our programs for at least 75 percent of the time. Our programs are nine weeks, so we want them to stay for all nine weeks or as much as they can, because if they don't, then they won't be able to complete the project. So I think it's different levels of success. It starts, you know, when they sign up, but it's also, you know, making sure that they see the program through. Nine weeks seems like a long time. Mm -hmm. Is it challenging to get students to buy into a nine-week program? I would say no, only because if they are really interested in the program and they, I think for us, our space is very attractive. So we have a teenage lounge and we have bright colors in our space and you know I think that attracts them and makes them want to come back and then also they're meeting new kids right so I come to a program maybe I didn't even think I would make friends but now I have like three people that I'm looking forward to seeing each week so I think for the teens just having a place to connect with more teens from different areas and different schools being able to have a teen lounge where you can read a book you can use a computer for homework since it's teenage friendly, I think it's very attractive for them to come back. So yeah. And then our program leaders are awesome. So they really engage well with our program leaders. So there's a lot of different things that we try to keep in mind to make sure that our teenagers feel safe and also that they're having fun. That's so important. Mm-hmm. You've really touched on such a good point there about really targeting your I'm going to call them audience, even though you know this is young people that you're working with, but just in general terms. Targeting your audience, understanding what's going to make them feel comfortable and Mm -hmm. 
what's going to keep them coming back. I mean, just everything. You guys can't see this listening, but (laughs) the space is amazing. There's a beautiful gallery and it's just so cozy and friendly. Like you want to just come here and hang out. Mm -hmm. So that makes such a big difference. You can definitely tell that you've really woven that idea into the whole fabric of everything that Art 180 is doing. It's a, did a really good job of that. So keep it up. (laughs) Yes. And part of that is our teenagers actually gave us input about it, right? So we asked them, if you could have a space where you can come and hang out and have your programs, what would you want it to look like? So I think a lot of creating that safe space is asking them, what would you like? And then making it happen so that they can actually trust that there are going to be people to help them make things come into life. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, we always hear about like stakeholder engagement. Like you want to get the people that you're serving onto your board or onto a committee or something so that you can get their feedback. And this is just such a good demonstration of that point. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly worked wonders because the space is amazing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I could definitely see myself as a teenager wanting to come hang out here. So. <laughs> so on the flip side of that, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. <laughs> I think my favorite part of my job is just knowing that I'm coming to help young people who want to be in the space. Young people who are just excited about life or, you know, maybe they're having challenges in life and they don't know how to get through it, but just being able to see them try to engage, try to push forward. I think that is really my favorite part. I mean, besides working in a cool space where there's, you know, art everywhere and we get to listen to cool music while we're working and, you know, the office environment is very fun and we all communicate very well. Besides that, it's really just seeing the young people actually use the art to do exactly what our mission says to you know live in these challenging circumstances but push forward and you know become who you always wanted to be or recreate who you want to be a lot of people in our space may not have that outlet in school or at home or within their friend circle so they get to come and recreate that yeah, you, so you mentioned work culture a little bit and how you know the, the culture here is, is very good. Can you hit on how your role fits in with the rest of the Art 180 team? And mm-hmm. you know, your role is so, everyone kind of works together yes. as a team. So especially within your role, like you're able to like influence almost every part of the organization. So right. can you talk a bit about like the work culture and how your position is able to work with everyone else? Yes. So outreach is the external piece of an organization. So in order to extend outwards, I have to be in tune with what's going on internally. And so I would say that I honestly have to work with every single position in Art 180 so that I can be able to reach the people that I need to reach. So I need to know as far as communications, what is our goals as far as communications? What are our goals as far as programs? Because when people see me at a different resource or at schools, they're going to ask those questions about, you know, what's going on in the organization and also what are our goals? People want to know where we're trying to head to. And so 
I definitely work with everyone. I particularly work closer with our program manager who work with the teams because I am recruiting teams into our programs. But with that, I definitely have to work close with communications. Like I said, I definitely have to work close with fundraising because my role intersects with all of the different avenues of our organization. So it's definitely difficult for me to work in my role and not work with anyone else because I have to. And honestly, it benefits me because it allows me to understand the totality of where we're trying to reach, right? So if we need to reach parents, right? Where are the different areas that the parents are? If I need to reach community leaders, where are our community leaders? If I need to reach high schoolers, middle schoolers, I have to be in tune with what's going on internally in order to know how to navigate externally. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any advice for avoiding the different positions kind of working in a silo? Is there anything that you found particularly helpful? I think in my position, I have to work with everyone. So I don't think I've ever been in a position where I felt like I've been working in a silo. I think it all boils down to communication, right? So if I need to ask Sally or Susie a question, I need to just go and ask or email them. And also just getting to know your staff what are their interests? What are their struggles? What are their, you know, what are they excited about when they come to work? I think just being able to generally know someone instead of just working with them because we are all working in an organization where we're working hard. We're working in the community. We're working for social justice. We're helping young people understand themselves more. And so it really helps when we all can get along. We all can know each other a little more because it helps our job to become more enjoyable. So I think I guess one tip would just be to just be yourself and be genuine to your coworkers and your staff members. Yeah, thank you. That's a really good tip. I think that it's easy to walk in the door at work and kind of put on your work face, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and kind yeah. of feel like you don't want to be authentic. Right. Um, especially, I mean, you're young, clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as a young professional, you kind of want to put up this front, like I'm, you know, very professional and right. And I can I can be very professional, yeah. but I'm also very aware that my professionalism is who I am. It's not just the mask mm-hmm. that I put on. Yeah. And so when you understand who you are and your strengths and your weaknesses and the things that excite you and the things that stress you out at work, you're able to, to navigate it in a different way and actually, you know, ask for help when you need help. And if you are working in a silo, you may not feel comfortable asking for help. You might not know how to ask for help. And especially as a millennial, I'm a millennial, so (laughs) hello. Um, I'm a millennial worker. And so, you know, a lot of times it can be intimidating to ask for help. Or you may think, oh, I'm too young. They won't listen. But actually, no, like people need to listen to you and you need to listen to other people. So just learning how to just generally communicate and to ask for what you need and to be of help to others as well, because when you help others, they want to help you back. Yeah, thank you for that. That's such a good point. And communication is is always key. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so how would you say that you spend the majority of your time? Hmm. Very great question. So it really depends on the time of the year. So we have programs year-round for our team programs. We're right now we're right in the middle of our recruitment session for spring. So right now I'm out of the office, I'm going places, I'm trying to get the word out. But sometimes I'm in the office, I'm planning, I'm evaluating, and I'm also engaging. But I would say most of my time is spent either out of the office trying to recruit or in the office definitely helping our young people to navigate whatever they're trying to navigate whether it's a job whether it's an issue going on so I'm very much so engaged and flexible and 
all over the place, but in a good way. Very cool. Okay, yeah. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Okay. How do you stay organized? Because it sounds like you have so good much question. going on. <laughs> good question. So I am that person that has three different to-do lists. So I have a to-do list for the day, I have a to-do list for the week, and I have a to-do list for the hour. I am super organized, and I have to be because if I'm not, then I can easily forget things or I can easily put things off. I pay a lot of attention to detail because when you're working with people, it's easy to have selective hearing, right? And so if I'm having a conversation with you, it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. But if I'm not really truly present in listening, I can really forget and it doesn't really benefit my position as being an outreach coordinator, someone who is definitely going to be directly working with people all the time. It doesn't help me if I'm not being present. So I would say I stay organized by planning ahead, using my calendar, and for me particularly, I have a lot of to-do lists. And so normally what I do is I try to break up my projects, right? So I do recruitment, I do community engagement, I also manage the mentoring program, and I also am, you know, kind of that person who's helping the young people to find resources. So I have so many different hats. So for those different hats, I try to break it down. What are my tasks for this week? Do I have any tasks for this week for going out into the community? Maybe not, but I do have things for recruitment. So it's really all about keeping your mind focused on what is the priority and also understanding the end goal. So if you know what's supposed to be done three months from now, you know what you need to break up to get done this month and next month. So that was a lot, but I would just say organization is different for each person. For me, I have to be super organized because I am doing a lot. And so it's really important that I put my energy towards what is important and also make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, you hit on a really good point there that you have so much going on, so you need to focus on what's important. You know, especially in smaller nonprofits, like we all wear so many hats. (laughs) It can be so easy to get lost in those to-do lists, you know, Mm -hmm. and not be able to prioritize. So thank you for sharing. That's a really cool method of keeping track of everything you have to do. And I love that you break it down by the hour. Yeah, (laughs) I really do. I really do. Girl, after my own heart, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... If you could go back, let's say five to 10 years, so let's say five is the beginning of your career, knowing what you know now, um, what advice would you give to yourself? Oh my gosh, what (laughs) advice would I give myself? The advice I would give myself is to trust that I know what I want and to trust that I know my strengths. I think I always knew that when I switched to social work that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to be engaged with the community but I don't think I really knew how. And so when I was starting off with Art 180, because I actually started off as an intern under the self-advocacy program, which works with young people navigating the juvenile justice system. And so I got engaged with that program because I was just interested in it. I was like, you know what? This is something that is dear to my heart. I have family members who are incarcerated. And so it was just passionate for me. And I got involved. And they asked me to help them do some outreach for the teen programs. And I was like, you know what? I actually am good at outreach. Because at VCU, I did a lot of things within organizations. I helped recruit people into organizations. And I didn't even know I was doing it. But as I realized, I was like, you know what? I am good at this. And I can help other people by doing this. And so I would definitely tell my younger self, you know, just trust in what you are strong at. And if you are weak in something, learn how to become stronger in that. And sometimes, you know, your weaknesses help you to become more aware of yourself. 
So definitely trust your strengths and let them guide you through your life because what you're strong at is what you are more than likely supposed to be doing in life. Thank you. I love that. That's very well put. Yeah. (laughs) How has your position evolved since you started out? Good question. So I actually started out a year ago. So my position is very, very new. My position has evolved a little bit because even though my role is about recruitment and recruiting teams in, the biggest chunk of recruitment is connecting with people. And sometimes connections take a long time to establish and to grow, and you have to give those relationships time, right? So for instance, if we are new in this neighborhood, it might take us a while to get to know who's the person to talk to. And also, you know, maybe we try something to recruit people and maybe the person we talk to is like, no, no, you need to try it a different way. So definitely just how I recruit has changed. I definitely have learned who is the person to talk to, Where are the places that will actually give us some input? Maybe there's a teacher in this school who loves to give us um, different teenagers who would love to be in our programs. And also the amount of community engagement. Last year within my role, I was going to events just to get the word out about Art 180 and just to get myself kind of acclimated to what it feels like to be out in the community. And now it's more about understanding where we really need to be and what events will actually help us to get young people in the door. So I would say it has changed by just me understanding the different climate of the neighborhoods, of the schools, of different events that we should be at. Great. Are you testing out any you know new methods of recruitment or anything innovative that you'd like to share? Ooh, innovative. Um, well, I feel like recruitment is innovative any way that you try it because it's really trial and error. You try something, it doesn't work. You try something else, it does work. So I would say right now, recruitment is pretty much set in stone of how we do things. I think what I'm trying out now is really trying to figure out how engaging with the community more can bring us more people. And so... For instance, Art 180, we are living in the Jackson Ward, the Historical Arts District in Richmond, and so we are close to Gilpin Court. And so right now, I am trying to grow more with the Gilpin Court area and really just get a feel for, you know, what do they want in their neighborhood? What do they need, you know? And how can we insert ourselves a little bit and help them to have the resources to do that? But a lot of that takes time because, you know, you have to get to know people and you allow people to take ownership of creating something new within their own communities. Yes. Yeah. I feel like you touched on something really good that we all kind of have to keep in mind working in the nonprofit sector is not just going into a community Mm -hmm. and being a resource. Like you're a part of the community. Exactly. And so the community chooses to use you as a resource. Exactly. We're a neighbor. And so if you want to use, you know, if you want to allow us to come in, that's an honor for us. Thank you for allowing us to come in and help you out and for you to use what we have, because honestly, our resources are here because we've decided to be here. And so, yeah, I definitely think one piece of getting into neighborhoods is just allowing them to know that they are the experts in their own neighborhoods. We don't live there. We don't know what you need. You know what you need. So let us know how we can help. Yes, very well put. Mm -hmm. What tools or resources have you found to be helpful for you in your role? Like it could be anything like a book, an article, a blog, anything. What tools or resources? You know, I honestly, so when I started my position, I did a lot of research. I researched a lot of articles. I researched a lot of different, I researched a lot of different organizations that were already doing a lot of recruitment techniques that I wanted to try out. 
But I think the biggest resource is the young people asking them, hey, does this work? Are you guys going to come to your lunches and come and talk to me about programs or not? And also, when I started my position, we did focus groups. So for the focus groups, I asked them specifically, what are some things that you want to see in our programs? How are you engaged in our programs? What do you like about recruitment? Were you attracted to Art 180 for you know a certain reason? Was it the visuals? Was it the flyers? Was it the social media posts? So I think... The biggest resource for me is our young people, just asking them to help me out. Hey, I know what I can do, but I don't really know what you guys want. So let me know what you want. Again, the people that you're trying to target are the experts. You're not the expert. You only have the resources and the access to help them out. So definitely the young people. I love that. And I love that you're asking so many questions. It shows that you're able to, you know, talk to young people and use them as a resource, but it also shows that you are yourself resourceful yes. by asking that many questions. Yes. So where do you hope to take your role in the future and what are you excited about? I think with my role, it's just, you know, like I said, I, my role is new, right? So I've only been here. I haven't even been in this role for two years. So I think I just hope to see my role evolve into just becoming a more consistent and collaborative role with all of the staff members, inserting myself with fundraising, inserting myself with all the programs. And I do work with them already, but I would love to see just growing more as an essential piece of everything that's going on with R180. Great. Thank you. My last question is something that I'd like to ask every person that I interview on this show. So as we all know, working at a nonprofit can be incredibly draining. It you know takes a lot of energy. We're doing hard work. We're doing good work. So what do you do for self-care? So, and everyone asks me this question. Even my teens <laughs> ask me this question. To be honest, self-care is a lifestyle. It's not just something you do. And so for me, it's as simple as when I walk outside of work, my email does not text me work emails. My notifications do not come up on my phone. And really, honestly, throughout the day, if I am getting stressed out or overwhelmed about something, I take a walk. We have a bench outside that has the sun that just beams on your skin, and I love that. So I sit in the sun sometimes. Some people might think I'm crazy, but I love it. And really, when I get home, it's just you know making sure that I'm letting go of any stress that was put on me for the day or any tension I might feel. And really being compassionate with myself about the work that I'm putting out because I'm working with a great team, I'm working with great teenagers, and so I have to give myself some compassion about all the work that I'm doing. My weekends are my weekends, so if, it, if I have the weekend off, then I'm having fun. And really just making sure that I am not holding on to anything from work throughout the weekend or throughout the times that I'm off of work. So for me, self-care is a lifestyle for me. I definitely take time to connect spiritually. I use crystals. I do a lot of different things. But I would say the main thing is just making sure I am disconnecting from any stress or any tension from work. Because even if it's it hasn't been a stressful day, sometimes you have tension in your body. Sometimes I try to work out. Sometimes I'm trying to get better at it. But also, like, self-care is a journey, and it's something that changes throughout the season, right? So my self-care regimen in the wintertime might be different than the summertime because in the summer you can go outside more, and there's just different things to do. So I would say for me... It's really just making sure that it's a part of my lifestyle every single day. 
That's so true. Thank you for that. That's a really good distinction to make that it's not just a one time I'm going to take a bubble bath. It's a, you know, it's building that into your daily habit. So it's kind of unconscious almost. And also I go to therapy. Very cool. That's something that, you know, a lot of people may not want to admit or, you know, they might have shame around it, but therapy is a really good way to center yourself. And also if you are a social worker, a therapist yourself, a doctor, anyone who is working with people, therapy is a good way to make sure that you aren't carrying anything, any of your own traumas or triggers, you're able to unpack and you're able to just have a space to talk to someone. So I definitely recommend that to anyone who might be considering it's definitely helpful in working with people directly every single day. Oh, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I'm one of those people that... 100% 100% believes that just everyone should go to therapy. Yes. There's everyone. no downside. Everyone. There's no yes. downside to it whatsoever. Yes. And there is there are resources if you are struggling financially with it. Um, like you said, I'm resourceful. So definitely, <laughs> you know, make sure you check in to get what you need from where you need it from. Great. Thank you so much for yeah, sharing. No and thank problem. you so much for sharing all of your wonderful advice and opening up your beautiful space so we can have this conversation. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Alright guys, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you want to hear more like this, please check out our other episodes as well as subscribe to our podcast. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you here same time, same place next week.